Hey everyone, you're listening to Inherited, a sound-rich, solutions-focused, youth-storytelling podcast about the climate crisis. I'm Shaylin Martos, your Season 3 host. In Episode 6, storyteller Radu Stokitsa critiqued the environmental policies and trends in Romania post the Communist Revolution. In his story, Bag of Bags, Radu interviewed some experts on traditional recycling practices, his parents. We linked up about halfway through production to talk about objectivity and how science data can be daunting but illuminating. My name is Radu Stohitsa. Some people know me as Stok. It's a nickname from my last name. Uh, he, him as pronouns and a title, a storyteller, journalist, I don't know, <laughs> so anything. Anything I was really... So... You've done some audio work and podcasting through college, but this is your first time doing podcasting professionally. Um, So what's it like to to know that this time you're going to get paid for it and you have the support of your producers instead of just doing it by yourself? Well, the team is amazing. It's way more understanding than I would have expected any journalistic team to be. I've worked with teams in the past, man. They're, They're like... Yeah, deadly. You know, they they said they said harsh deadlines. They're not really understanding, and I understand why. It's a it's it's a, how do you call it? It's a highly stress high stress I think profession that we choose. And once you find those little oases or like you know those little zens, those groups where you can actually, I think, take it as you can. Basically, you know, take your time and do it, and they're understanding, and then they, they respect if an emergency comes. And you, you know, it's it's been beautiful. I mean. The paying part of it is lovely. I mean, uh, the first gigs in journalistic world, regardless if it's audio, video, or writings, are most likely to be unpaid. And it takes a long time, I think, for someone to actually get money and get recognition and get experience. I was fortunate enough to do that, I would say, two years ago, maybe for the first time, or one year ago. For podcasts, I've never been paid, so this will be my mm-hmm. first time. And it's uh, it's great. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm investing the money into more equipment, actually. Oh, <laughs> amazing. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sitting on it. At this point, you know, we're still in the production process. You still need to track your script. And I took a look and I read over it. I even felt a little bit guilty thinking about how I've contributed to green consumerism. And I feel like maybe some people are going to be a little butt hurt. So <laughs> uh, <laughs> how does that make you feel? Does that kind of drive the story for you? Yeah, uh, partially because it's, I still believe in agency, like in, a, in individual powers, I would say, to change. And I think that if you may, might have the chance to choose between, I don't know, a paper straw and a plastic straw, you should maybe go with a paper straw. But that, that's, that's kind of irrelevant at the end of the day. I, I think that's what they want us to believe, you know, they really... And by they, I mean uh, the big corporations and uh, and those uh, corporate bought governments. They just want to focus all the blame or and responsibility on the individual to the extent that you you, you go into a store and you feel bad for buying something that's plastic wrapped. And I and I feel the same way. Trust me. But like mm-hmm. I- imagine, I I go with my girlfriend on a date or something, and she expects me to buy her a box of chocolates, whatever it's plastic. Am I gonna stop buying that? You know, yeah, of course I can come up with a different gift. But maybe if she really likes those chocolates. I'm still going to buy for her. And I think there are other avenues and maybe other people, and by people I mean entities such as corporations and government, should be the ones that actually you know, uh, make sure those candies do not end up in plastic boxes anymore. Mm-hmm. But the lobby is just so high that it just, it just puts so much pressure, I think, on the individual. And at the end of the day, I think some people, while we might be able to think about it, uh, they're, they're like poor people that have no chance to ever think about this. You know, what they really have to think is, 
I have to put food on the table. Mm-hmm. Do I really care if it comes packaged in plastic or paper? It's irrelevant. And it should be to them because they, they're striving for survival. And someone putting the blame on them, oh, you haven't bought uh, my, I don't know, over-the-counter granola or something. You know, man, if you mm-hmm. really come up with that argument, you're lacking empathy, in my opinion. It's really, really difficult for a lot of people to avoid that, to avoid contributing to either green consumerism or just capitalism in general and how that is affecting our food and everything else around us. So I I feel reading the script that your parents are like the glue in this story. (laughs) And so so one thing I wanted to bring up is this ever-shifting debate of objectivity in journalism. And your parents' perspectives and your experiences shaped this episode. So I'm, I'm wondering what it's like to report on your own family and you as someone who's had experience in journalism before. Did that kind of occur to you? Have you had issues with that? Like, what does that feel like for you? Well, it's lovely. I think the idea was that I will not write for a news agency, you know, just like a report or reporting on the ground in the sense. So I allowed myself a lot of subjectivity, which which I've done in the past as well. It's not the first time I include my parents in a journalistic piece. I've, mm. I've, I think I might have started, or this might be a later article, with I was documented a strike my mom was taking part in, and I interviewed my mother for an article. And then I wrote an entire article, uh, a profile of my father for a Romanian magazine, mm. uh, describing how he ended up going to college, because my dad is a retired forest keeper, and uh, he, at the age of 58... He went back to school. He never went to college, but mm-hmm. uh, he started college education at that age. So I wrote a big piece on that. But regardless of that, the question of object objectivity, it's a very high skill dance that people need to master quite early on because there is an obsession almost to a point with this objectivity in journalism, which I think once you get enough experience, you realize that it doesn't fully exist. Like, yes, you shouldn't come up with facts that you have not witnessed heard of or anything and you should double check everything you you see but i think one of the lessons i learned in journalism is it's not what you say is important but what you don't say is also very important Mm. so we can claim that someone is more objective than me because he reported on the on my parents story not being a family member but he left out so many other things that i might have included Mm. And I think I think that's the that's the little dance I was saying that people need to master or get their head around. And honestly, my journalistic experience has been uh, has been I would say quite inclusive of this notion. And and everyone I've worked with really has understood from early on that or told me that you know we don't really expect ob- objectivity of you. What does it mean? I I'm glad that we can have this conversation about yeah. objectivity because, like you said, as you move through this industry. You start to understand that, like, yeah, everyone's identities and everyone's experiences do change their perspective. The future of America is in your hands. This is not a movie trailer and it's not a political ad, but it is a call to action. I'm Mila Atmos, and I'm passionate about unlocking the power of everyday citizens. On our podcast, Future Hindsight, we take big ideas about civic life and democracy and turn them into action items for you and me. Every Thursday, we talk to bold activists and civic innovators to help you understand your power and your power to change the status quo. Find us at futurehindsight.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. 
While change may not happen overnight, the movement for a more just society is gaining momentum. Tune in to Crooked Media's Pod Save the People, where every week you can learn about the stories that are impacting communities of color from people of color. With hosts DeRay McKesson, Kaya Henderson, Miles Johnson, and Diara Ballinger, Pod Save the People gives an exciting blend of politics, culture, and social issues all in one place. From book censorship to discussing Beyonce's impact on society, tune in to Pod Save the People every Wednesday on your favorite podcast platform. So I, I just really like to know, have you grown through this experience working with Inherited? Have you found some things you want to work on? You said that you're going to get some more equipment um, after this, which is awesome. It's a bit difficult, self-reflecting, of course. But um, playing with a different medium that I have not been fairly familiar with uh, exposed me, I would say, to a different way of communicating with people and basically adjusting a story to audio. It's something when you write it and it's something when you record it. That's what I realized. It took me a while. Mm. So I think that's the, and, and secondly, editing the, the producing team, the, yeah, it's been lovely, good, good experience working with, with all of you guys. And not only that, but, you know, it teaches you a lot about the way you would like to work with other people in the future, I would say. Mm. Yeah. So what advice, Radu, would you give to young climate journalists that are just coming into that space? Uh, I think climate storytelling, it's its interesting to, to think about. Um, I, I would say there's a lot of space for people and there's a lot of space for people to grow and report on stories, especially coming from areas that there haven't really been that much reporting done on. We get a lot of stories, let's say, for example, right now from uh, New York with the, with the smog or uh, mm-hmm. the haze, the haze that's over the city. You know, the sky is looking uh, like they're coming out of Half-Life one the video game <laughs> but uh, i think i think what we don't really see are like climate stories uh from countries such as romania for for context to listeners radu and i are talking just the day after new york experience having the worst air quality that they've ever had in history the sky turned red like it did here in the Bay Area due to forest fires. So just a little context on that for people. And there's a lot of space here. I would say, uh, I know in the beginning it looks daunting because there is a lot of science behind it. It, it, it. it is a craft and I'm a bit of a perfectionist at heart. And I and I, I do my research. I love, I love researching and I think it's necessary. I think you cannot write a story and just assume that you know things just because you think plastic is bad. You know, you should really understand how plastic works and how decomposition of it works before you actually dive into writing a story. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need more people to actually be, to understand how to look at financial data regarding climate change. We have journalists in the United States for sure that look at it and do a fantastic job. You know, they track corporations, they look at their statements, they look at their 1000K forms or however they're called. In other, in other countries, don't really have. And I think mm-hmm. that will be interesting for people to look at. Mm-hmm. There is something about data, about legal arguments, and about financial arguments that really can build a very strong case. You mm-hmm. know, that might be picked up as a policy paper that later can actually influence politics. Climate news are very important, and I don't think we give them enough credit in many, many places. Like, I think the United States has a beautiful scene. You know, big publications take them very seriously. Like, uh, I think outside gets a bit difficult, especially outside of the English press. What I would say is that if you, I don't know, if you're from a country where you know that the climate reporting in your country is not done to the extent that you love to see, I would say maybe try to learn from the outside and see what you can bring in as well. 
keep an open mind to it. Don't neglect the climate journalism. It will be everywhere. We'll talk about it more than ever. I was in New Delhi for a couple of uh, weeks, a couple of week, a couple of months ago. Uh, you're burning alive at 40, 50 degrees Celsius on the street. You literally feel like you're melting into the asphalt. If there is like a climate emergency, we don't feel it yet in Romania, it doesn't mean we'll be protected forever. You know, so I think get a head start on it. That's my take. Cool. We are nearly done. I wanted to ask if you wanted to plug anything. Um, what would you like us to look out for for you? And if you don't have anything, you can, you can just tell me oh, now. And me. Then <laughs> I won't include that question. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, I'm excited to report more, I would say, on climate and labor stories. Uh, there will be more from me in the Romanian press uh, in, the coming, uh, in the coming months. I'm working a lot more on this, and uh, I'm looking to into more financial data, I would say. <laughs> That's what I'll be, I'll be doing Wonderful. in the next months. Yeah, I, I think, uh, I think as, as I said, I think it's necessary, and I think you can build very strong arguments. Uh, what I really want to do in the next months, uh, it's, uh, we have, a very close to my house, they're, they're trying to build some, uh, small nuclear reactors. It's quite an interesting project. It's funded, it's funded mostly by, I'm not sure if it's the American government, but some, some ended in the United States. They just uh, demolished, um, a coal plant very close to my house, 10 kilometers away. That was defunct for many years and they want to replace it with a nuclear reactor. And the problem is that the nuclear reactor is placed next to people's homes. And not only that, but it's placed like 10 kilometers away or 10, it would be like six miles, let's say, away from my house and six miles away from a big urban center. So I think I want to cause some trouble. I don't know. Just want to <laughs> stir the pot, see how, see how it goes. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of annoyed by it. Good luck on that. Like, make some trouble. I love hearing that. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Radu. I really appreciate it. It's a lovely time. Lovely, lovely. I'm so glad. And I cannot wait to hear your episode. Thank you for joining us for this bonus episode. Season three of Inherited continues Wednesdays, wherever you get your podcasts. Next week, storyteller V. Pham shares the voices of young Pacifica climate activists working to combat Australia's restrictive immigration laws. Inherited is brought to you by YR Media, a national network of young journalists and artists creating content for this generation. We're distributed by Critical Frequency, a podcast network founded by women journalists. For more information about our show, team, and storytellers, visit our website at yr.media inherited. See you next week.